0: Hey folks, this is Abel James and thanks so much for joining us on Fat-Burning Man, where we talk about real food and real results. Today we're here with Arthur Haynes, an expert in wild foods, plant medicine, and living like our wild ancestors. I had the pleasure of hosting a panel with Arthur at the Paleo Effects Conference and let me just say that you can learn a thing or two from the way he lives his life off the grid in the wilderness. So pay attention. This episode might just change your life. Along those lines, I'll be speaking again at the Paleo Effects Conference and the Paleo Effects Entrepreneurs Event coming up, as well as a few colleges, conferences, and special events across the country. So join my newsletter at fatburningman.com to get all the details. I'd love to meet you in person. And uh, along those lines, I'd like to give a quick reminder to those of you who have been listening for a while and uh, an announcement for those of you who who might be new to us, that at fatburningman.com, we have every new episode of this show written up. So if you don't have time to listen to the whole thing, I know sometimes, you know, 40 to 60 minutes can be a long time, especially if you're crunched for time. You can get the entire blog post at fatburningman.com under the person's name that I'm interviewing. Every episode of this show is available for free. You can get video versions, you can get audio versions of the show. And also for episodes in the past one to two years, we've been writing up an entire blog posts transcript with key takeaways from every episode so if you just have a few minutes and you want to learn about a particular subject like what's the best way to train for a marathon how do I burn fat as quickly as possible what's the deal with ketosis and intermittent fasting what should I put in my coffee if you have any questions about that just go to fatburningman.com and there's probably an interview or a blog post that's ready for you with key takeaways uh, that you can get and you don't have to listen to an interview or watch a whole interview either but I wanted to make this information available to you no matter how you want to get it. So text, video, audio, it's all there for you at fatburningman.com. Check it out and it's totally free. Before we get to the show... I have something quick to share with you. When I first overhauled my nutrition plan with a primitive version of the wild diet I dropped about 20 pounds in just over a month. Now I'm very happy to say you readers and listeners are making me look like a complete slacker. We recently kicked off a 30 day challenge in our online community the Fat Burning Tribe and we had over 2,000 people join us as members of the tribe to participate from more than 20 countries across the world. So Congrats to all of you who joined in the wild diet 30 day challenge. Your story always bring a smile to my face so here's one of my favorite success stories from joshua just beat sugar addiction 20 pounds down in 30 days i'm really feeling great i'm a recovering sugar addict and i've fallen off the paleo wagon so many times in the past few years the wild diet has been different the meal plans the tribe support the guilt-free desserts and especially the green smoothies where have these been all my life have made the wild diet stick where basic paleo didn't I'm a long-time listener to the podcast, but getting the book and meal plans made a huge difference. I can't recommend it strongly enough. Congratulations, Joshua, and thank you so much. So we have more good news. During the challenge, tribe members said that the Wild Diet 30-Day Meal Plans are the best nutrition and shopping resources they've used in a long time. So we're going to make monthly done-for-you wild meal plans a part of the membership in our online community. When you join the Fat-Burning Tribe, you'll now get a new set of 30 day meal plans every single month. So you'll never have to worry about what you're cooking for dinner again. And the best part is that these monthly meal plans are a $47 value and they're totally included in your tribe membership. So the wild diet is about changing your attitude toward food, eating the most nutritious food you can find and afford, and changing your habits for a lifetime. Of health. It's really less of a diet and more of a lifestyle, as many people who come on board quickly realize. So if you're ready to start eating delicious food and shedding stubborn fat, check out the Fat Burning Tribe. All you have to do is go to, from any device, fatburningtribe.com. That's fatburningtribe.com. Com. All right, on to the show with the wild man himself, Arthur Haynes. You're about to learn the surprising benefits of eating wild foods, what it's like to live off the grid in the wilderness, why domestication has damaged the health of plants, animals, and humans alike, how to liberate your thinking from the status quo, and much more. All right, let's go hang out with Arthur. Hi, folks. I'm very excited to be here this week with Arthur Haynes, who grew up in the western mountains of Maine, a rural area that was home to swift streams known for their trout fishing. He spent most of his childhood in the Sandy River Valley hiking, tracking and foraging. Arthur now runs the Delta Institute of Natural History in Canton, Maine, where he teaches people the value of foraging, wildcrafting medicine and primitive living skills. How are you, Arthur?
1: I'm great. I really appreciate you inviting me to be part of your program.
0: Absolutely. So I grew up in the backwoods of New Hampshire. Now we're in the middle of nowhere in the Smoky Mountains, which is awesome. But it's a totally different world than the suburbs and certainly urban living where most people are used to. So if you follow the, the rat race, it seems easy to be disconnected from where we came from as humans, disconnected from nature. So how does living in the boonies, like you do, change your approach to how you live and and view the world?
1: Well, there's a lot of directions we could go with that question, but certainly one of the things that it opens up is a lot of opportunity to actually practice. -hmm. Things like foraging and wildcrafting medicine, or even hunting, for um, people that are interested in that particular pursuit. Uh, I think a lot of people have a great deal of interest in these particular things. But um, you know, with I think it's about eighty percent of our population lives in an urban setting. We don't always get the opportunity to actually follow through on some of these things that uh, I think a lot of people would really enjoy participating in.
0: Yeah. So what's it like to be a wild man? How do how do you spend your day. How about that?
1: Well, my my day has some very wild components and some not so wild components. Um, What I try to do is demonstrate to people that this is something, uh, regardless of what your lifestyle, that you can participate in it. Uh, And I really do mean even people who are living in suburban and urban areas, there's always places to participate, at least in some component of these activities. Um, You know, modern day living involves property ownership. Mm -hmm. And as we try to purchase, just more land. There is property taxes that go along with those things. Um, so it necessitates having a job to pay for those things so that we can have this wonderful property. I wish you could see it. I mean, we're in the middle of over a thousand acres of forest where wow. we're parked. Yeah. Um, but what we do is we make sure that a lot of our spare time is dedicated to being outdoors gathering things that we use here in our home so even though i live in a in a relatively modern home it's a solar powered off the grid home um it's what we do outside of the home and the things we bring back to the home that allow us to sort of touch base with those hunter-gatherer lifestyles Mm -hmm.
0: so what being someone who lives that lifestyle (laughs) as you drink from that i love it Your water glass is different from mine, (laughs) but what are some of the things that that really inform what you do that city folks, suburban folk might've lost touch touch with?
1: Well, I mean, I essentially let you know, the research that I've done into hunter-gatherer lifestyles really guide a lot of what I do. Mm-hmm. And I'm not one of those people that thinks that, you know, they had everything perfect and it was Eden and right. everything is screwed up now. Sure. That's not what's happening. But but certainly if, if anyone digs into the medical anthropological research, you can identify a number of features about hunter-gatherers that surpass the quality of life that we have there and 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 i'm sure you know your um your listeners are already familiar with a lot of this stuff like chronic disease Mm -hmm. happiness and contentedness and this kind of thing and so we are trying to pull in all of those elements that we can into this modern life essentially recognizing that um You know, there are some things that we may not want to follow, but we're going to do as much of it as we can so that we enjoy a diet that is closer to theirs than Mm -hmm. what most people are experiencing, Mm -hmm. water and medicine that's closer to theirs, even our clothing. The way we raise our child is based on a lot of principles that um, anthropologists had recorded. In other words, giving sovereignty to the young person instead of considering them somebody to just rule over and Mm -hmm. they have to do your bidding for and, and so it, those are the great things I love about it. It's possible for anyone to do this kind of stuff, at least to some extent. And I'm just trying to show uh, this is a path that we're moving forward into the future, not trying to go backwards into the
0: past. Absolutely. And there's a lot of value, though, in, in seeing uh, the way that people used to live just as a function of what was available around them, Uh Medicine, for instance, I know you're, you're really into wildcrafting medicine. When I was growing up, uh, I unfortunately became allergic to pretty much every antibiotic there is when I was an infant. And so my mom actually became an herbalist and uh, started practicing holistic medicine because there really wasn't any other way to heal me. So I was was raised on all of these stinky bombs and tonics and and (laughs) stuff like that. And I I think a lot of the health that I'm experiencing today is, is really due to that and the way that I was raised, especially after I was an infant. So can you talk about the value of using wild plants as medicine?
1: Yeah, I mean, there are a few things that I would I would love for people to consider. Of course, we're dealing with a population here in the United States where people are actually, whether they want to admit it or not, have a fear of wild things. Mm-hmm. And so we have this huge obstacle to get over because we're just convinced that we're going to poison ourselves using wild plants. And the thing that I like to share with people is... If they realize that they can poison themselves from wild plants, they're already admitting that they have a a belief in the phytochemistry of plants. They right. believe in the potency of plants, mm-hmm. and what they have to understand is, you know, for example, just here in New England, we have thirty five hundred species of plants. Mm-hmm. Isn't it possible that some of those have beneficial actions and not all detrimental actions? Yeah. And the answer, of course, is yes. Um, so one of the things or excuse me some of the other things that i like to mention about wild plant medicines you mentioned antibiotics that Mm -hmm. you uh had developed an allergy to the great thing about wild plant medicines especially those that um, are made using the typical preparations that herbalists use Mm -hmm. is they actually don't extract a single chemical into the water or the alcohol as people build teas and tinctures respectively but they extract a whole suite of chemicals that all act on the bacterium the virus the fungus whatever the pathogenic species is that mm-hmm. uh, people are interested in treating and Given that you have all of these chemicals operating on this organism, they don't have an ability to develop a resistance in the same way they do with pharmaceutical drugs that are typically a single chemical and much easier to gain resistance. So um, I have friends that have asked for assistance with MRSA, methicillin-resistant Staphylococcus aureus, and where um, the pharmaceutical drug was failing for them, we were able to treat these things using plants that we had gathered from the landscape so that's an example of the potency of wild plant medicine but one of the things that um, most people don't think about is when we take medicine a portion of that passes unmetabolized through our body and enters obviously the waste stream which goes out into the sewers and in some urban centers that water is recycled for use in the home again And unfortunately, the uh, methods that they use to essentially cleanse this water of the waste is not able to remove pharmaceutical compounds. Mm -hmm. So when you're using these kinds of medicines, um, all of that is going out into the environment. So the antidepressants, the anti-fertility drugs, the antibiotics, everything, whether it's the wildlife in a rural setting or the people in an urban setting, are actually getting dosed with these sub-therapeutic amounts every single day throughout the year when they're using their water. Mm -hmm. Great thing about herbal medicine is you're using medicine that's already present on your landscape. When these plants drop their leaves, those compounds go into the soil, into the water, and when they pass through your body, it's the same thing. They're already present and you're not adding sort of a a low level pharmaceutical pollution to the landscape. So it's actually a way that we protect the cleanliness of our drinking water is by using herbal medicine rather than pharmaceutical drugs.
0: And a lot of these ancient herbal uh, tonics, teas, plants, uh, what have you, are massively effective especially for certain conditions and a lot of people just have no idea.
1: Yeah, I don't think people really realize um, how much science there is now behind a lot of the herbal medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, there are literally tens of peer-reviewed journals where um, ethnobotanical medicines are presented and discussed and research is um, there and available for people to read about. Um, we don't see that here in the United States very much because the cost of bringing a, a new drug to market is between two and a half and five billion dollars these days. And what pharmaceutical company is going to conduct research on, say, the um, antimicrobial potential of staghorn sumac when yeah. people can just walk out and gather it themselves? Right. So, all of the research is, or most of the research is done in Europe and Asia, and if people are not going after journals in that part of the world, they simply won't ever see how much research there is supporting the use of plant and fungal medicines especially.
0: hmm Now, what about from the, the, I guess, meditative, spiritual, mental side of things? For me, I know that whenever I was getting angsty growing up, going for a walk in the woods did something to me that going for a walk in the city didn't do to me, right? <laughs> when I started living in an urban lifestyle, I think so many people uh, really have lost sight of of the magic in all of that. So can you just advocate, I guess, for f- on behalf of nature, What what is the power of that? Why is it so important for us as humans?
1: Well, I mean, the, one of the most important things that we need to remember is that our species did nothing but live on wild landscapes through its entire evolution until really recently. Mm-hmm. And, you know, knowing that agriculture began 10 to 12,000 years ago, for many people in different parts of the world, agriculture is actually much newer than that. Mm-hmm. And it hasn't been a tremendously long time that we've been dealing with structures that break up our landscape. I mean, humans were originally very focus oriented. They focused on um, sites of importance to them that were interconnected with all of these trails. And now we have a very different focus. It's sort of a a completely different contextual framework of how we view the landscape. It's very boundary focused now. Mm -hmm. I can go here, Mm -hmm. I can't go there. Uh, that just changes the way we think about everything but given that we live here in the United States and you know if there isn't a study documenting it we're just not going to believe it we don't have that ability um, or not all of us maybe have that ability to sort of intuitively decide for ourselves you know yes the sun is beneficial for me it isn't something that just always causes cancer Mm -hmm. so there actually is lots of study now looking at people spending time in nature and the effects to them Um, as 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 little as a five minute walk in a forest or a field or some type of natural setting away from buildings has been shown to have this suite of health effects lowering our blood pressure calming heartbeat decline uh, in I mean in a beneficial way indicating a drop in the stress levels they're feeling and in fact people who took a five-minute walk in say a parking lot or a supermarket or something had elevated levels of all of these things that we're talking about we're natural beings We hail from that setting and it only makes sense that the more time that we're able to spend there, the better off we're going to be from that nature connection, that spiritual sense that affects our physical health.
0: Yeah. One of the fascinating things is how habituated I think we all become to the constant stimulus of bright colors, advertising, flashing lights, (laughs) big sounds everywhere and uh, it's such that. Where I came from, where you live, uh, you get used to hearing birds and squirrels and the wind against the trees and, the, and babbling of brooks. There's something about that that kind of puts you into a different brain state. Uh, you don't necessarily realize it. You take it for granted. On the flip side, when you when you go to city living and, and you're used to that, all of a sudden, it's it's no wonder why we're, <laughs> why we're freaked out all the time if there's, you know... A uh, fire engine blaring in the background and you might be hungry when you wouldn't otherwise be because there's a picture of a hamburger right there with the color red, which kind of like freaks you out. So <laughs> is there anything that you can do to kind of bridge that gap and get a taste of the way that we're supposed to live in the modern world?
1: Well, I I always love to uh, sort of share concepts with the people, uh, particularly the students that come to me as opposed to recipes. Mm -hmm. And instead of telling people, okay, go find a park and make sure you spend 10 minutes a day there or whatever the case might be. Here are the concepts that we need to think about. Our, our city landscapes, our urban landscapes have a few things about them. There's tremendous noise pollution and there's tremendous light pollution. Right. All of these things affect us. The noise pollution gets us to actually turn off from stimuli. And that's the weirdest thing to imagine that you have to stop perceiving your environment to right. keep yourself sane. Right. I mean, that's, we, that's never happened before. And of course, the light pollution is affecting our sleep and our other uh, circadian rhythms. And the other thing about an urban setting is it actually lacks complexity.